This is a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek, where we welcome priests from the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana to tell us their vocation stories. We are so grateful to and thankful for our priests as they serve us and bring us the sacraments daily. Before we introduce today's special guest priest, we'd like to pray for you, Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. Welcome to the Sons of Melchizedek on Catholic Radio Indy. I'm Kent Blanford, and today I have the privilege and the pleasure to be speaking with Father Patrick Hyde, a, a Dominican priest. Now, Father, let, let, let me start right off the bat. A Dominican priest. How is that different from the priests who are serving out in our parishes here in central Indiana? Sure. Thanks, Kent, for having me. It's good to be here. Dominicans, like any religious order in the church, um, were created for a pastoral need and a spiritual need within the church. So about 800 years, a little over 800 years ago, St. Dominic, our founder, was traveling through France and discovered a heresy in the south of France and realized the local clergy were not educated enough to really respond to the intellectual questions of the, the heretics. And the monks who were sent in to respond on behalf of the bishops didn't really inspire the people because they were so wealthy and well-to-do. And so Dominicans were founded to preach the truth, but also to live a kind of monastic life of study and prayer so that our preaching would stem from our encounter with the incarnate word and study and prayer, and then to go out into the world to share that with others. It's different from secular clergy or diocesan clergy, as we would normally say, because we live in community with one another. We have a particular life of prayer. We have particular apostolates within the archdiocese here. So the archbishop, though, he assigns us to, you know, appoints us to our positions at St. Paul Catholic Center, where I serve in Bloomington. He is not in charge of like our day-to-day life within the community. That's our provincial and our, our constitutions and things like that. Okay. So... I noticed that uh, when I saw your name printed out, it had OP at the end. Mm -hmm. That's Order of Preachers? Order of Preachers, yes. Okay. So in St. Dominic, Order of Friars Preachers was initially, you know, the the Friars movement, the Mendicant movement, the Franciscans, Dominicans, Augustinians, the late 12th, early 13th century. That was kind of a movement within the church, and the Dominicans were a part of that. And we're founded to be preachers of the word. No. I in in talking before we started the show, I asked where you were from. You're originally from St. Louis, born so, and raised. Yeah, born and raised, educated there with your uh, grade school and all that. Yeah, Was it yeah. So my basically all of my great great grandparents came over from Ireland to St. Louis. Okay, and uh, eventually my mom and dad met at Holy Thursday at Mass. <laughs> they kind of knew who each other each other were through social circles in high school, but had never really gotten to know each other. And they met, fell in love, got married, and raised all six of us. I'm one of six kids in the church, went to Catholic grade school, St. Clement of Rome. In St. Louis, there's still a very uh, strong tradition of all boys and all girls Catholic high schools. So my brothers and I went to an all boys Catholic high school. My sisters went to an all girls Catholic high school. Uh, Yeah, so basically it was really not until I was probably in high school and even in college where I really had a group of friends who 
either weren't in Catholic school or weren't Catholic altogether. So now you mentioned you were one of six children. Mm-hmm. Now you told me something unique about that grouping of six children. Share that with us. So in my family, it goes one, two, three. I have an older brother, and then two years, about 21 months later, my twin sister and I were born, so two. And then four years later, uh, my parents had triplets. So in six years, my parents had six kids, but in the order of one, two, three. So they were, <laughs> they were starting to see exponential growth, and they you know they said, you know, I think six and six is might be enough for us. So <laughs> Scared to death about I think so. quadruplets I think coming so. on. Yeah. Now, Catholic education, Catholic high schools, uh, all the way through. Where'd you go off to college? I went to college at the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia, which is a small private liberal arts college, uh, about 3,000 undergraduate students. I went there because I I was really interested in going to a small liberal arts college with Division I sports. Uh, Richmond is known in the uh, NCAA basketball tournament as the giant killers. Yeah, Uh, I've heard that We have a reputation for that. But um, it was, I was really interested in going to a Catholic university, but my college guidance counselor, when I told her everything I was looking at, she said to me and my parents, I really think, and I'm, I still think I'm the only guy from my high school who's ever gone there. She said, I really think you should look at it. And I went there, I visited and really liked it. It was really up until the last, I had to make a decision. It wasn't my top choice. One of the reasons I made the decision to go there is I was kind of nervous about going to a school that wasn't Catholic having grown up in this Catholic bubble, Catholic campus ministry, retreats, all that made readily and easily available to me. So um, a friend of my grandfather's had a son who went to Richmond, and all of his older children had gone to a Catholic university. But his son had had a great time at Richmond and had been very involved with the campus ministry. And because it's a small school with not a huge Catholic population, he was able to get involved and get to know people right away. And so when I was making my ultimate decision, it's it's weird to think that the one non-Catholic school to which I applied was the one I went to because of Catholic reasons. <laughs> you know, so many times we hear that, you know, when someone moves away from the faith, mm-hmm. it's in those college years. Mm-hmm. And, you know... You made it through the through your college years without stepping away, and mm-hmm. what called you to the vowed religious life? Well, I would say that I I did have you know like anyone else struggles in college oh, yeah. with my faith. I still remember my freshman year of college. I had for the first time in my life not gone to Sunday mass. It's still the only time in my life I haven't gone to Sunday mass, and I realized in just that week if I'm going to be a Catholic. I actually have to make a decision for it. It's not, and that was the beauty of where I went to college, is I had to make that choice. There wasn't going to be a mass in my dorm. There was going to be one mass on Sunday, and I had to make that choice. And so I got involved with uh, our college campus ministry, and it was because of that that I became a sacristan. And then, so I would set up and clean up after mass every week. So it guaranteed, I took the one position <laughs> that would guarantee that I go to mass every Sunday. And uh, one Sunday, my sophomore year of college, we were not going to have a priest because the priests who normally served were all unavailable or out of town. And there was a deacon on staff at the university, faculty on staff at the university. And he and I were going to go over to the local parish to get Holy Communion, to do a communion service. And I walk into the the chapel on campus where we would have mass every Sunday evening and there's a Dominican priest and at that time in my life priesthood was something that was on my head in my heart my sophomore year of high school I was with a friend of mine at mass before school one day and we you know we're 
PSAT, thinking about college, the college guidance counselors, <laughs> and what are you going to do with your life? And just this thought of priesthood popped into my head. And so it was, it was never like, I need to be a priest, but it was always there. And I met this Dominican priest, and he was a good preacher. He was a nice man. And he said, Dominicans are a lot like Franciscans. I'd never met a Dominican. Um, and then I thought that was that. Well, a few years later, after college, I was living on the Navajo Reservation in northeastern Arizona. And at that time, the Franciscan friars, I think they're still out there, were teaching in, or were, were not teaching, but ministering in the missions on the reservation. And so I really saw, hey, here are some men who are living together. They're praying together. They're on mission together. And I was really feeling stronger and stronger, this pull toward the priesthood. And there was just something about that religious life priesthood of, None of these guys are from here. None of these guys have anything to, you know, but they've been called forth and they live in community and that's what sends them out to serve those in need. And so I was looking at the Franciscans and a couple other communities and then this light bulb came on in my head, hey, Dominicans are like Franciscans. And so I looked up the Dominicans and 14 years later, here I am. Okay, I have to take a step back. How did you end up on a Navajo reservation? Oh, yeah, great question. (laughs) One of my best friends in college she was a couple years ahead of me. And so my junior year of college, my the fall of my junior year, I was studying abroad and just trying, really trying to figure out at that point, what am I going to do after college? Because at that point, I went to a liberal arts college. I was just, I was studying, you know, whatever I wanted to study. I had no real career aspirations or I didn't know where I was going to go. I figured maybe I could teach, maybe I could do all these things anyway. And she was doing a, a volunteer year and she encouraged me. She said, hey, I think you really, this could be something that would be really good for you living in community, having a common life of prayer, and just having uh, the opportunity to talk with other people who share your values, to live a simpler life, and to serve those in need. And I was thinking about that, praying about that, and that fall, at the end of that semester, I did about a four-week backpacking trip by myself through Europe, which culminated in Rome a couple days after Christmas. I did a tour of the Vatican and all that, and went to confession at St. Peter's. And I just knew, hey, I need to do a service year. And and so I just started looking. And I was really attracted to the uh, Native American reservations because of the need, because of the poverty, and also because of what it it would demand of me in terms of changing my life and really putting Christ first. So that's how I ended up out there. Wow. Major major challenge to go from, you know, touring in Europe to... A Navajo reservation. Yeah. That that that's got to got to be a, a culture shock for you. It it was, and I grew up very comfortably. My my family is. I mean, they're not like exorbitantly wealthy, but very well to do. Grew up amidst that, and yet, as more and more as my life developed, as I was getting closer and closer to the quote unquote real world, I wasn't happy. I was empty. Uh, the things that everyone would say would give you all of this uh, just good you know feeling of of you know of money of relationships of a career all of those things the more i seemed to pursue them the emptier the more alone the more unknown i felt like i was becoming and so it it just made all the sense in the world to me to do something radically and totally different because what i was seeking and what i was finding were not filling my heart and with that, uh, I noticed uh, when we spoke before, um, you went to the Aquinas Institute of Theology, and we're going to pick up right there, right after we take a short break. You're listening to The Sons of Melchizedek on Catholic Radio Indy. 
You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. The first radio station signed on back in the 1930s. And wow, people could get news without having to wait for the next day's newspaper and hear great entertainment right in their living rooms. Uh, But then in the late 40s, television came along. And since it could add visual content, well, that would probably kill off radio. But it didn't. In the 70s, satellite radio, 8-track tapes and cassettes, and the Walkman came along. Surely one of these would kill off radio. But they didn't. Now there's streaming on computers, podcasts, Alexa, and smartphones that put the world at your fingertips. And you know what? Radio is still here. In fact, a recent survey of people aged 18 and up showed that on a monthly basis, radio reached more people than television, including time-shifted TV. And for audio programming, more people than smartphones, PC, Alexa, or tablets. When you support Catholic Radio Indy, you're supporting a powerful tool that has the potential to reach over one million people every day with the message of salvation. If you're one of our donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, today would be a good day to do that. Just go to catholicradioindy.org and click on the donate button. That's catholicradioindy.org. And thank you for your support. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Sons of Melchizedek. I'm Kim Blanford in studio with me. Dominican father, Patrick Hyde. That's H-Y-D-E. Yes. So uh, a good Irish name. I think it's originally English, but my family hails from a part of the county Cork where there was a Hyde castle. So we think our name comes from being servants or something along the lines. I always joke around about both sides of my family. One's English. The other side is Scotch-Irish. And both of them left the U.K., because of Catholic persecution. So, I mean, you know, my family showed up in, in Maryland in like 1588. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's like, okay, we're not going to give up being Catholic. And, uh, you know, it's just been handed down mm-hmm. ever since. Now, just before the break, we were talking about you, you'd spent some time on a Navajo reservation. You'd finished your college years. Where'd you go to seminary? So we go to seminary at the Aquinas, my province, the Dominican province of St. Albert the Great, which is the central United States province. We basically go from Indiana to Colorado and everything north of that. Um, I We had our school in St. Louis for about 40 years, and I entered the order. Uh, I started discerning in 08, 09, and entered the novitiate in 2009. So as religious, the first year of our formation <clears throat> is what we call the novitiate, which is basically a year where you are an intern, if you will, with the community. You're living the life, you're getting to know the brothers, you're, they're, they're sizing you up, you're sizing the community up, and then at the end of that year, if you're feeling called and the community agrees with that, you make your first vows. And then we have our school in St. Louis, um, which was kind of surprising to me when I was discerning, because I'm from St. Louis, 
And I had never met a Dominican in St. Louis. And so when I was talking with the vocation director, uh, our provincial headquarters are in Chicago. And so I thought, okay, probably have a school in Chicago, things like that. And he calls me and we'd like to invite you, he says, to a to a, a vocation weekend, a come and see weekend in St. Louis. And I said, well, why are you? Why are you telling me that? I, there's no there are no Dominicans in St. Louis. He goes, yeah, we've been there for 30 years. And I call my mom and my dad. I go, do you know where there are Dominicans in St. Louis? I go, oh, we've never heard of Dominicans in St. Louis. You know, and the white garb didn't give them away. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> up until that point, really, we we didn't have our own house. We were we were renting space from the Jesuit community at St. Louis University, um, and so we wouldn't unless you would have been happened to be in a parish or a place where Dominican friars would have been, you would have never known them. And the school's small, it's mostly just for our friars. So um, I can still remember though, a couple of years before that, because my father works in construction, driving around St. Louis working for him and seeing our what is now the building for our school being built and renovated. And I can still remember, this is a weird thing to remember, asking my dad, hey dad, what is this place? The Aquinas Institute of Theology. Um, you know, it's right next to St. Louis University. He goes, it's probably just a part of St. Louis University. And then lo and behold, three, four years later, I was a student <laughs> brother there. So, Now, we mentioned the white garb. Mm-hmm. Is there a history or a uh, specific, you know, dedication to the the white garb for the for the dominicans yeah so the mendicants the friars that movement within the church one of the things because especially of uh the inspiration of saint francis of assisi was poverty and simplicity of living in solidarity with the materially poor and so it just so happened in the area where the dominicans were founded in the south of france the undyed wool was white and the areas where St. Francis was founding in Italy, it was you know a brown or a gray kind of color. Uh, and so when the St. Dominic was founding the order, the, the standard garb of most people at that time was the tunic. Pants and whatnot were much later. You know, and so that was what we wore, it was a simple garb uh, in, uh, in the style of the day. And then over time, different elements of the habit became a part of it. So there, there's, a, there's a shoulder cape called the capoose, which is a hat, essentially, but also a a religious habit that has a hood on it is also a sign of a contemplative order. And not only that, but we have a a scapular that runs full length front and back. And that's traditionally, at least the genesis of that garment, was to hold things and to clean things. And so the scapular as a garment among regular folk was a sign of servitude. And we believe that uh, Mary gave the scapular to one of our brothers, Blessed Reginald of Orleans. And so, and then you have a belt and a rosary to go along with it. Uh, and because the Dominicans were, in many ways, the first promoters of what we know as the rosary. Now, you're currently serving at Bloomington, Indiana, mm-hmm. at the, on the IU campus. And uh, I want to ask a little bit. You know, we mentioned a little bit earlier that, uh, you know, during those college years, that's when, you know, we see the most young people falling away from the church. How is that a challenge for what you're doing on campus there? Well, one of the challenges, Ken, is that when students get to college, they for the first time have the freedom to choose whether they go to church or not. And so what we've actually found is that practically speaking, many young people leave the church by the age of 13 or 14. But mom and dad simply won't let them. They have to go to church. Then they go to college, and it just ratifies the decision that they made years ago that the church doesn't really play an important role in their life. It, they may identify as Catholic. They may think of themselves as such. But it's, 
they've already, in a sense, been making that decision to put it less and less as a part of their life. And so what we see then is a huge drop-off. We serve on a campus of about 45,000 students. We believe there are about six to 8,000 Catholic students on campus. These are baptized Catholics. We only see about six to 800 a weekend at Mass. So only about 10% of college students are even taking the time to go to Mass on Sunday, at least on our campus, and that's pretty standard across many other major secular universities. And it can be discouraging when you hear that, but it's also beautiful to see how when our parish there, Newman Center, has reoriented itself and, and gone through a major transition so that our primary focus is on reaching out onto campus. We can't just open the doors and say the students will come because they won't. We could have the best location on campus. We don't have a great location at IU. It's not terrible, but they're not going to come and find us by and large. The ones who will, will find us. And so our orientation is let's make sure that every student who's coming to us is hearing the gospel, is receiving um, that transformation and conversion and new life in Christ so that they can be the ones who can go out onto campus, into their classrooms, into their fraternities and sororities, and if not share the gospel, at least witness to it in those communities. And hopefully that type of relationship and witness will spark in others a late, you know, to bring to life their latent desire for God. Now, how long have you been at the Newman Center down there? I've been at St. Paul's for six years. Six years. I'm going to toss in a little story here because mm-hmm. um, some friends of mine that I went to high school with had a daughter who went to IU. Mm-hmm. She went to the Newman, uh, spent a lot of time with the Newman Center, and uh, next, well, yeah, next month, she is taking her final vows with the Sisters of Life. Next week, in fact. Next week, yes. Uh, so she she will permanently be Sister Lucia Christi. Mm-hmm. I know her well. Do you? So I was there 10 years ago when she was still a student as a student brother. And yeah, so, but when she was there, when I was there as a student brother 10 years ago, we had about a dozen students who were involved in our ministry. Now we have consistently 300 students attending weekly Bible studies, and then several hundred others who are involved in our retreat program, our Sunday supper. We offer a free meal to our students after every Sunday evening mass during the school year. And why do we do that? Well, it, we're not just giving the students who come free food. We want to invite people to just come and have a free food. In fact, I just a couple weeks ago was having lunch with a student who a few years ago came to IU, had been raised in a pretty secular home. I mean, nominally Christian, but not, no practice of any sort of uh, religion, and came to IU, and a friend invited him to go to St. Paul's for a Sunday evening dinner. Hey, you want to come and have free dinner? Yeah, sure. One of our focus missionaries sat down with this guy, got to know him a little bit, invited him to join a Bible study, and he was searching at that time in his life. And here's a kid who just came for a free meal. He was, you know, searching and open to Catholicism, had looked at it a little bit, but it wasn't front of his mind. He joined a Bible study. A year later, he was baptized into the and confirmed and received First Holy Communion. And so it's that kind of mentality and approach of if we keep forming and reaching out to and having those opportunities, it, it's inefficient in the sense of we're not going to, you know, catch a million people, but the ones we do catch, we can then send out to do the work also. That's probably the most satisfying portion of your ministry, to see these young people who, you know, they're on the fringe, 
but they kind of edge their way back in or the yeah. edge edge their way in for the first time. Yeah. We see a lot of uh, can the the kind of the standard I say is we see young people who come in as freshmen who really they either they're making a decision to live out their faith or they've made grandma a promise that they'll go to mass. And then we also see students who come back to the faith their junior or senior year. And the freshmen, you know, they're just searching, they're seeking. The juniors and seniors have sought the things that they thought would give them meaning and purpose and have come empty. But the beautiful thing is to see how for all of them, when they they finally realize that God loves them with an infinite, unbridled love, and they are chosen by him, and not just chosen to be loved, but to also be that love for the world. And it's so powerful, especially in a world where these young people spend so much time on social media and so much time in, in, in parts of their life where they're being told that everyone else has a better life. And then they realize in Christ, they can have everything. It may not be as glitzy and glamorous as it would be portrayed on social media, but there's a power, there's a meaning, there's a substance there that now all of a sudden, even the worst parts of their life, even their greatest struggles, even their biggest burdens are now areas of beauty and grace and truth and an opportunity to grow in holiness, meaning, and purpose with their life. Yeah, you get get the real opportunity there on campus to see them grow up. Mm-hmm. And make that make those final decisions. To, what am I going to do with my life? Whether it's secular, whether it's yeah. vowed ministry, or whether it's you know somewhere in between, where you know yes, they're serving the church, but maybe not as a vowed you yeah. know as as an avowed. But um, you know, as long as they're still in the church, you're casting the nets. Yeah, and you can only get the fish that ro- that swim in. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'd like to uh, just ask you to. You know, if you would share with us a blessing here as we close, and um, you know, we in turn here at Catholic Radio Indy and all our listeners will continue to pray for your ministry down at the Newman Center at IU. If yeah. you would, Father, thank you for the prayers. Well, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lord, we ask you to continue to shower your blessings upon all of your sons and daughters. In a special way, Lord, we ask you to bless the minds and the hearts of those who you are calling to be priests and consecrated religious, that they might follow your will with courage and conviction and be open to doing it your will, Lord. I thank you in a special way, Lord, for the gift of priesthood that you have given not only to your church, but to me, your unworthy servant. And I ask you to continue to bless me and all priests that we might faithfully fulfill the promises of our ordination to bring the sacraments to your people. And I ask you, Lord, to bring up a new springtide, a new great crop of young men for the priesthood and to bless all of those in the church that they might promote holiness through their own way of life so that it inspires others to seek after you with open minds and open hearts. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And that is all the time we have for Sons of Melchizedek for this week. I'd like to thank Father Patrick Hyde for joining us, and uh, we ask you continue to pray for our priests. And until next time, may God bless. Be holy. You've been listening to a special edition of Faith in Action entitled Sons of Melchizedek. Join us again next time when we'll feature another priest from the area. 
If you are interested in having your priest appear on this show, please contact us at Catholic Radio Indy. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy, 